The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. Hi, I'm Daniel Roth, LinkedIn's Editor-in-Chief. Welcome to This Is Working. On this show, we talk to leaders who have a significant impact on how we work and how we live. My guest today is the one and only Sir Richard Branson. Branson's been a guest on the show a number of times and for good reason. He's introspective and transparent. He's both entrepreneurial and corporate-minded. He's also willing to take risks, which is how we ended up together this time. We had asked Richard to help launch LinkedIn audio events, a new format on LinkedIn, and he was totally game. What you're hearing is an edited version of our live chat. On the week we sat down together, HBO had just launched a documentary about Branson, and he had just re-released the second volume of his memoir, Finding My Virginity. Some people, myself included, hate watching themselves on screen, and I was curious whether Branson sat down to screen the documentary. His answer surprised me a bit. Here's our conversation. I was lucky enough to watch it with my uh, children and grandchildren, um, and uh, they discovered a lot of footage going back many years that I didn't even know existed. And so, you know, I think it's good It's good at some stage in your life to either write a book or uh, do documentaries to share one's wonderful experiences with other people. I think... Um, Everybody has an interesting life, and I think we all have children and grandchildren, and we should all one day sit down and you know try to write a book about our lives. And that's something I encourage encourage anyone to do. One thread in the documentary is the importance of telling your story. Your parents really pushed you to perform. You were a, a shy kid, and I thought it was really interesting. Your siblings talk about your parents' philosophy, which was that you have to tell your story not because you want to be out there bragging, but because you owe it to other people to talk. And there's a great quote that you have in the documentary where you say, your life is not wasted if you've learned a lot and you've shared it. If you have learned a lot and you haven't shared it, your life is somewhat wasted. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I think it would just be very, very sad if one goes through life and learns incredible things and have incredible experiences. And and you don't try to help other people learn learn from your experiences. I've published a number of books. New book, uh, Finding My Virginity, is sort of an up, updated version of my second half of my autobiography. Um, hopefully there'll be a third one day. It's quite therapeutic, writing a book and being able to look back at those experiences and learn from them oneself as well. And the same same applies to the making of the HBO documentary. For most of us, we will not go up in hot air balloons. We won't break world records. We won't go to space. We might not launch hundreds of of companies. I think for a lot of people, they might look at this and say, of course, Richard Branson has two autobiographies in him. I barely can fill a paragraph. What would you say to people about the need to tell their own stories, even if they are not living your life? I honestly think that everybody's story is fascinating. I would encourage anybody to, you know, keep a diary. Um, uh, every day, you know, just in conversations with with people, you're going to learn something. You're going to learn something from your children when they're young. The wonderful quotes that you get from uh, kids and grandkids. For instance, just before I went up to space, uh, my granddaughter 
who was six, just pulled me down to her to uh, whisper something to me. Now, I need to put it in context. She knows that I was a pirate uh, and I was dumped on an island in the Caribbean uh, by bad pirates and that I developed Necker Island myself. And uh, she and the other grandkids are all sworn to secrecy. So when she pulls me down before I go to space, she says, Papa, Papa, um, do you realize you, you're going to be the first pirate ever to go into space? It's just little, little moments like that, that if you write down these magical moments that your kids say, even if you don't turn it into a book when they're 21 or when they're getting married, these sorts of stories are, are, are magical to be able to tell. But I think for, for most people nowadays, you can publish a book uh, quite easily. You don't have to go to Penguins to publish a book. Um, and um, it's just lovely to be able to write a book for your children or, or your grandchildren um, about your experiences. Are you always taking notes? I mean, I should just explain to listeners, we're sitting across table from each other. You've got a, a folded eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper with notes scribbled on it. Are you the a kind of person that's just constantly taking notes on everything around you all the time? Do you have a system? How do you do your journaling? I have a notebook almost everywhere I go. Uh, flew over the ocean on Virgin Atlantic. Uh, I went around and you know talked to our staff, um, talk to our customers, uh, any little comments I would write down and, and then follow up on when I arrived the, the other end. I think if you don't take a note, you're going to forget uh, something that somebody who maybe works for you um, has told you that, that is important to them. And it's very important you get back to them. Conversations um, are, are wasted, again, if you don't take notes of those conversations, because you're only going to remember one, one or two things that somebody says. And if you've got a list of things that need to be done from a conversation, you owe it to the person who's sitting telling you those things to, to take notes. I love it. So much about owing it to other people. Entrepreneurship and taking risks, huge part of your brand. They have always been. In your book, you say that there is no more important job than being an entrepreneur. Can you explain why you feel that way, or at least why you felt that way when you wrote your book? Well, look, obviously I'm slightly biased, <laughs> but, um, but almost um, everything in this world has come about through entrepreneurs. Um, I mean, an entrepreneur's job is to try to improve people's lives. And the only way they're going to be successful is if they do improve people's lives. So I think, you know, every every entrepreneur has, uh, has created something which is uh, making a positive difference in other people's lives. And collectively, the world is a much better place um, as a result of all the entrepreneurs that have set up in my lifetime. And it would have been without them all. Hmm. And do you think that there is a time when people should go off and start their own thing? You were looking at a res potential recession in the US, energy concerns in Europe, uh, COVID concerns in, in China. There are concerns all around the world. Is this a time for people to back off from entrepreneurial dreams? Do you lean into moments like this? Do you not worry about timing? What's your philosophy? I think that you should only go into a venture if, if you've come up with an idea that you feel you're going to be you know, proud of doing, that, that it's going to be worthwhile your time to do it, and that other, other people are going to benefit from. Um, if you've got an idea like that, I don't think it matters really when you start it. Um, I mean, I started out in business uh, when interest rates were 
believe it or not, at 22%. Never really thought about that because I didn't have any money anyway. And we just had to try to, um, uh, to, uh, sell our products in advance in order to get the cash flow to survive. I think, I think, I think it is possible to, uh, look at, look at difficult times like today and, and still start businesses. The only drawback is if you want to raise money, today is going to be slightly more difficult than it would have been a year ago or that it, that it maybe would be in, in two years time. Would you encourage people to be less reliant on raising money? When you started, you funded the business through selling records. You, you funded your business as you went. And, and, and you, it doesn't sound like you had the opportunity to go out and, and raise money. Is it a good thing for people to be able to raise money? Or are you, do you believe that this is more of a, you know, funded as you go uh, world we should be going back to? I didn't have any money. Um, I, you know, I literally had the 200 pounds that my mother got from finding a necklace and selling it. Um, uh, and therefore I, I had to, you know, pre-sell advertising before I could bring out a magazine, or I had to hand out leaflets outside the Royal Albert Hall uh, for you know when I was selling music and get the money in advance before I sent sent people their records. Um, uh, so it was forced upon me. As a result, um, the Virgin Group we still own a hundred percent of, um, and and that has given me the flexibility to you know take the group into space or. Um, airlines or, you know, a, a whole raft of different ventures that I most likely couldn't have done if I'd had outside um, shareholders in it. That said, there weren't such things as venture capitalists around when I started. There are today. For your first business, if you, if you can get properly funded by, um, by, by a venture capitalist or by a family member, that may well help you and you can learn learn the ropes with that first business and then maybe your second business you try to own a hundred percent yourself you um certainly focus on entrepreneurship but you're obviously a massive hirer you employ a lot of people who i assume you don't want them to leave the company once you hire them and start their own businesses how do you think about internal mobility in your companies? How do you ask your managers to think about internal mobility? And, and what do you look for when you're hiring people? So first of all, we're very fortunate at Virgin that we've got people who have been with us a long time. So when we start a new company, um, I, we, can, we can draw on, uh, I mean, for instance, Virgin Atlantic has the best upper class, the best lounge really in the world at Heathrow. It was built 15 years ago uh, by a wonderful lady. Um, and you know when we decided to launch a cruise company, um, rather than bringing in cruise experts, um, we uh, brought in her and and a bunch of people who would never go on a on, on a cruise line to create Virgin Voyages. And the end result was the kind of a, a cruise company that that myself, my wife, and our friends all love to go on. Are completely different from. Uh, Carnival or any, or any of the other cruise companies, um, much you know more fun. It, it just feels very very virgin, and um, and so that's something we're able to do. You know, we start a train company. You know, we know how to make sure that train company is the the best in the world. We're able to draw on d different different companies for uh, new ventures. We try to promote from within um, as much as we can because you know somebody's 
weaknesses and strengths when you promote from within. Obviously, on occasions, we bring people in from outside. It's not always easy to get that right. We'll get people to you know, send a five-minute video just to get a, get a flavor of you know, their personality through the video. We found that's very effective. I'll tell you a fun story. Um, many, many years ago, I had a TV program uh, uh, called a pretty horrible name, The Rebel Billionaire of all things. And I asked people to send in five-minute videos. And uh, one girl sent in this video um, and she'd just come up with this idea and she was in her basement. Um, and uh, she fl flashed her butt at the end of the video and, um, and said, you know, you've got to take me on. Well, you know, if somebody flashes their butt at me, um, how can I say no? So she, she was one of the contestants. Anyway, it turns out that uh, her idea had been to make women's butts look better. Um, and it turns out that it was it turn, turns into Sarah Blakely and Spanx and, um, and the, rest, the rest is history. She just managed to get um, that little fun bit of flavor across in, in, in a, in a five-minute video. And, and I think you can see a lot more in a five-minute video than you can in a, in a CV. It sounds like you hire mostly generalists or people with a spark, and then you try to develop them within Virgin. And if you can see something in them, you move them around the company. Are you looking for that spark? Is that what you're looking for? Are you looking for specialists? I think there's a lot of questions about whether you want to hire people who have skills that your company needs and you bring them in, or do you develop the skills internally? How do you think about that? I think it helps if they've got uh, the personality, you know, uh, uh, before they actually come to us. I mean, it's difficult to uh, create create personality. It is absolutely critical to us that they are decent people, that they're good with people. You know, the kind of leaders that praise don't criticize um, is something I've said all my life, but that, that really is the kind of person we want. I mean, you, you, if you get the wrong person in, particularly at a senior position, you can destroy a company really quickly. And you've got, you've got to be really, really careful to make sure that the people that you bring in um, uh, genuinely care about people and, and don't you know, ruin a, a one, wonderful atmosphere that maybe has been spent years being built. Um, and I think one of, the, one of the worst things that have been done for business is that, you know, is programs like, you know, you're fired or um, we people were sort of relishing fire, firing people. I think it's a, it's a horrible example of just how business shouldn't shouldn't behave. Um, it, it should be something that uh, is incredibly painful thing for managers to have to do to ask people to leave, and they should feel it, and 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 they should not seem to be relishing in it. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more on the current state of the business world with Sir Richard Branson. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers 
and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back. I was curious about Branson's perspective on all the layoffs we've been seeing in the tech industry and beyond. Just before we sat down to talk, a furniture company had laid off nearly its entire staff overnight. When enormous layoffs hit en masse like that, it can begin to feel like this is a deliberate part of the management strategy. I asked Sir Richard for his perspective. Well, if there's a danger that you're going to uh, lose the company if you, if you don't make tough decisions, uh, then, um, uh, then, the, then obviously, you know, the, 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 the sometimes has to be justification for it. And um, we at Virgin during COVID, um, had to, you know, the teams had to make tough decisions, but um, but they were painful decisions. They were agonized over. Um, fortunately, most of those people have, you know, got their jobs back at Virgin um, a couple of years later. Um, but um, but they, but they should be agonized over, and and the, and they shouldn't be sort of. Uh, I mean, I've 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 sat in a car once um, many years ago. Actually, in two thousand and eight, um, it was a banker in the back of the car, and he was, you know, he'd been given a list of people to sack, and and he was giving them about thirty seconds each, just you know, picking up the phone, ringing them, sacking them, putting the phone down, ringing up, sacking them. No words of sympathy or understanding, and. Uh, and I found it, you know, thoroughly unpleasant. And um, and and, uh, you know, what you, you know, what you you know, we've at Virgin. I'd like to think that um, if people go to a pub, um, that they'll be proud of the fact that they work for the company. Now, if you're the kind of company that relishes sacking people, uh, people are not going to be proud of working for your company. So you, you you've got to uh, be human, humane, and human about it. Well, I want to take you in a slightly different direction about how you make decisions. In um, Finding My Virginity, one of the things you talk about is you say, I do everything on emotion. And in the documentary, in the HBO documentary, one of the things you say is that uh, almost everything in my life has been instinctual and not premeditated. We are in a big data era. There is so much data around us. It's easy sometimes to make these decisions based on data. But your point of view is much more about gut and about seeing things and just feeling where you should go next. So what do you tell people as as they're thinking about, should I trust my gut or should I trust the data? What do you tell people? It slightly depends what reason you're uh, uh, you're doing what you're doing. Um, are you doing it solely because you want to make a lot of money? Or are you doing it because you want to create something that you're really proud of? Um if you're doing it because you want to create something that you're really proud of, um, 
I mean, let's, you know, if, if I go back 38 years to the start of Virgin Atlantic, you know, I'd flown on a lot of other people's airlines. I hated the experience and I felt that, uh, you know, we could create the kind of airline that myself and my friends would like to fly on. I did not get any accountants in to uh, give me any figures because I knew that they would either tell me I was mad and, and I shouldn't even dream of going into the airline business, or if they were trying to be nice to me, they might do the figures to, you know, to make it look like we could make some money. But you know, it had to be my own instinct uh, that uh, the world needed a better airline. And so we literally just started with the one plane. Um, and you know, 38 years through lots of ups and downs, we're still going strong. I never made a lot of money out of the airline business. Um, most likely, we've, we've net lost money, I suspect, um, in, in those 38 years. But it's been something I've been immensely proud of. And, uh, and it really helped put the Virgin brand on the map on a global basis. So, uh, you know, so it's helped with other ventures that we've done since. So, um, so I think one's instinct to cr create something you can be proud of uh, if, if you, if you create the best, um, uh, by and large, the best will survive. If you create the, you know, I've just, you know, I've just been to, um, uh, the new Virgin hotel in New York, um, just off Times Square. It will be the best hotel. It opens in a couple of months time. It will be the best hotel in New York. If it's the best, you know, that, you know, it will, it will survive many, many, many years. Um, if you cut corners and it's mediocre, um, then it doesn't necessarily deserve to survive. And, and so create, create the best. Don't worry too much about the bottom line. Um, and I suspect you'll be able to pay the bills because it's the best in its field. You know, what, one big difference too in the way you're describing things is that the data can take you to the next step, but what you don't know is the step after that. You talk about this idea of the airline leading to something else and inspiring other businesses, but there's no way the data would have told you that an airline might take you into cruises or into space or into hotels. I mean, all of that came because you were already doing it and new opportunities arose. When people come to you within the company with ideas, what do you expect or what do you ask your managers to, ex to, to expect in terms of the internal pitch? You know, someone wants to launch a new business. Do you want to see all the data or are you willing to trust the instincts and the strongly held beliefs of your team? More the latter. Uh, I mean, obviously it depends on the, in, on the individual, you know, I mean, the, the guy, you know, Jamie, who started Ring came to me with, with an idea the other day and, you know, without really listening to the idea, I just felt, um, well, if it's Jamie, I'll, I'll, you know, he's, he, he created something extraordinary, you know, we, we should seriously look at it. And, and so, uh, you know, so the individual that comes to you, um, uh, you know, can play a can play a large part in it. Then give them their head and see what they can create. And you know, sometimes it'll work out. Sometimes it won't. Richard, did you watch at all what Patagonia's founders decided to do this summer? We had the CEO in recently. You talked about how. Patagonia has changed by the founder's decision to put almost all of the shares into a nonprofit that helps benefit uh, the environment. It goes to environmental causes. Are you thinking about what comes next or how you want to pass on version or is the way it's working is the way you like it working? We are uh, thinking very hard about this and my, my kids uh, also thinking very hard about it. I think as a, as a family, we know that... Um, 
there's a limited amount of money that you know we as a family need. It, it helps have money for education or for health emergencies or for a roof over the head and so on. Uh, but the kinds of vast fortunes that are being made in Silicon Valley and other places um, should ultimately, um, you know, be put to dealing with um, some of the major problems of this world. And um, and I don't think our family would be any any different in 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 that thinking. All I can say is um, watch this space, but uh, but it'd be a, a different kind of space in the, on this discussion. All right, excellent. Well, we uh, you're always welcome back here to when you're ready to talk about it. We would love to have that conversation take place on LinkedIn. It it is interesting that with I think with that Patagonian um, announcement, they ended up ended up getting criticised. And 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 one thing I talk about in um, uh, in the HBO documentary uh, Branson is how. Uh, when people <laughs> do something for the right reasons, that that is the time they get criticised. Um, when people do things just to make uh, to make money for themselves, they never get criticised. And it, it's, it's a sad, I think, reflection on um, on uh, yeah the, the, on, on the press that the, the way the way yeah, the way that happens. And and uh, I think Patagonia, had, if I remember rightly, had some knocks from it. And and and. Uh, um, you know the press have a job to do to keep people honest, but um, but it, 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 they should be consistent. I think. How do you deal with it when the criticism comes your way? Um, I think the only thing you can do is just to prove the critics wrong and just you know put your head down and prove them wrong. If it's very inaccurate, I might drop a line to the journalist and just say this is why I think you got it wrong. And then finally, I think you have to have thick skin if you're if you're a high profile uh, global, you know, known around the world. You just have to accept that you're going to get your knocks and and you you're going to get good, good good comments as well, and you know, take the rough with the smooth. That was Virgin Group founder, investor, author, and philanthropist Sir Richard Branson. To get even more out of this conversation, check out my newsletter on LinkedIn. It's also called This Is Working. So what did you think about Sir Richard's advice to journal your days and then his point that you shouldn't just journal to journal, but you need to teach others what you're learning and what you've done? Is that something you do or you've considered doing? Let me know on LinkedIn using the hashtag ThisIsWorking. Please remember to rate and review us on your favorite podcast listening app and tell a friend or colleague. It helps so much. This is Working as a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Sarah Storm with help from Stephen Valdivia, Elias Avalos, Victoria Taylor, and Candace Weiner. Joe DeGiorgi mixes our show. Courtney Coop is head of original programming. Dave Pond is our head of news production. I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's editor-in-chief. Stay strong. See you soon.